was talk about some of the fruit of practice. And certainly we've been practicing together for the last couple of days and um, you might be wondering why you're practicing at this point, if you're new. Uh, that's a very common phenomena, pretty much universal. Um, and certainly we've mentioned some of the challenges and difficulties and that certainly has come up in the interviews in terms of what we're dealing with and just how challenging it is to to be with oneself in such a relentless way, you know, where there's just um, not that many escapes um, or not man- that many external distractions. And there's such a, you know, very uh, structured um, practice and a schedule. And certainly when we first begin to uh, walk this path of awareness, and of course we've been walking this path prior to getting here because otherwise we might not have even arrived. Something led us here, some kind of an awareness of our situation, an awareness of what, uh, what our life is like, and some of the difficulties and challenges that we face in our everyday life, and also a recognition perhaps that um, some of us may not have all the inner resources, you know, the wisdom, the clarity, the compassion, uh, to relate to those uh, situations or those challenges that we face. And so oftentimes that's what leads folks to turn to meditation. Uh, rather than, say, just getting another master's or a PhD or another BA. Um, instead of doing, taking that particular path, taking a much more uh, direct look at our bodies and minds and hearts and trying to bring a different kind of intelligence to our life. And you know, that ju- the journey is quite amazing. I mean, the three of us up here and many of you out there have been on this path for a very long time. And there are so many discoveries, there are so many insights that one has, there's so many, um, there's so much to uncover on this path of awareness. Um, And what's fascinating about it, to me, continues to fascinate me, is that this learning process that we're we're involved in, um, the learning can happen at any point in time, any situation you're in, and that uh, we've had teachers that say, you know, the more difficult, the better, in some ways, because that might push us in a certain direction uh, where we go beyond our comfort range and we cultivate a different kind of attitude and we can learn, actually, in that situation. And some of us probably already recognize that, that sometimes the deepest transformation or learning can occur when something really difficult comes, like a loss or a separation or uh, one loses one's job or something changes in one's life. Um, and that that somehow this, we have a difficult person in our life and somehow this, that whole relationship or that whole situation pushes us in a direction where we have to look more deeply into our situation and we learn some of our deepest lessons under very challenging conditions. And I can certainly say that for myself. And it's not that we necessarily have to go looking for difficult conditions, uh, but they tend to find us on a pretty regular basis. And the Buddha said, basically, that human existence is incredibly challenging. But he didn't stop there. Okay? That's, that's, let's just face a reality. When we look at the planet, when we come on retreat and we sit with ourselves, uh, just our our bodies, our minds, our hearts, just to sit with that, we can see that it's full of challenge. But he didn't stop there. He also said that human beings, that the human being realm offers enormous potential for transformation. 
for freedom, for wisdom, you know, for cultivating the resources that allow us to help each other. So I'd like to start out talking a little bit about some lessons that I learned along the way and how, um, how freeing they were, you know, how liberating they were for me. All three of us up here who have been teaching this retreat, we've all, we've all predominantly studied within the Vipassana Theravada you know, school, tradition, lineage. Uh, but we've also stepped outside of that. And we've had significant teachers outside of this particular lineage, predominantly Buddhist teachers. And for me, I've been on this path of insight practice, which was, has been my main orientation. Most of my, I've been practicing for quite a while, uh, several decades, let's put it that way. Um, and, you know, I was always drawn to this path because of uh, kind of, it, 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 you know, we, cl- we practice in a group, but there's certainly kind of an individual you know, kind of, it tends to draw independent-minded folks, uh, folks that don't necessarily like to conform to group consensus or, you know, people often that really want to find out for themselves. And, um, you know, like, we, like here we do our walking um, individually. You know, there's, there's a certain amount of freedom in the schedule and, and all of that. So after a few decades of, practicing pretty much exclusively within Vipassana. Uh, I met a teacher uh, from the Chan tradition down at the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies. Uh, I just finished teaching a seven-day retreat here in IMS, and I went down, and uh, I met this Chan master named Sheng Yen. And he was teaching, I think it might have been a three- or four-day kind of Chan retreat, in a very different style, different method, um, and I remember I went down, I think it was on, the retreat ended on a Sunday, and I went down, and I, I wanted to at least listen to him. I didn't have much time, you know, it was, it, it was the end of his time there, and he was giving a closing talk. And he saw me walk in uh, to the hall, and I kind of slipped in the back. Uh, and he immediately noticed me, and he pointed out, and he said, like, how come you're coming so late? Uh, and, you know, I was on the spot. And, and basically I said, well, I apologize for coming in late, but I just finished teaching a retreat down the, down the road of peace, uh, teaching a Vipassana retreat. And his attitude changed a little bit. He, I think he understood there was a good reason for me coming in late. Um, and, you know, immediately there was just this very strong connection. It wasn't magical. It was just like this sense of resonance when you meet someone, you know, when the chemistry is right. Uh, and the chemistry was definitely right for me. It just his whole style and the way he taught was so um, straightforward. And so not from the top down, you know, but very direct um, and, and very humble, but not, you know, not often the conventional form of humble, but ter- genuine humility. So I connected with him and then I started practicing with him and I spent maybe seven or eight years probably practicing with him. And I, what, I, what, what I would do is I would sit um, several 10-day retreats, silent retreats with him every year. He had a center in New York. And so I would go and practice with him. And so the first retreat I remember quite well. Um, it's actually extremely vivid in my mind. Um, and and what, what brought this story up was in the group. Uh, someone asked, like, how come we have to get up at 5.15? Um, <laughs> 
you know, why can't we get up at six? <laughs> that, you know, that, you know, all that. And I said, well, um, we're actually getting off pretty easy. Um, and, you know, not that it's easy to get up at 5.15, but I'll give you an example of what I was in for when I started practicing with them. And this is not to like show off or, you know, this is just standard practice in, in this particular context. People who've never practiced or sat in their life have done these retreats with me. Uh, so it's not like I'm, you know, portraying it this way. But, I, but what I want to do is, is sort of show basically um, I'll get there. Let's just, let's go into like the details of the retreat. So, um, like I said, I like to do self-retreats. I like to do my own thing, you know, basically. Um, kind, of, kind of the Vipassana way in a certain way. Um, and when I got there, um, got there late at night, wake up was four o'clock. And my rooming accommodations was the main meditation hall, the floor, uh, with 40 other guys. Okay, so that's how we slept. We slept in, it, in fact, we essentially lived in the meditation hall from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed, uh, from four to 10. And at four o'clock, uh, um, the alarms, the, the, the way they wake you up, it's, it's fascinating actually. Um, there's a wooden block uh, and there's a gavel and they smash the wooden block. Uh, <laughs> In where I was located, it was probably three feet from my head. <laughs> now, I don't know if you like those first moments of waking up, but I don't in general. So having a wooden block smashed like within a few feet of my ears um, was a very unpleasant experience, put it that way, very. Uh, so that was the wake up, and that was just the beginning. Uh, there was like two hours of chanting in the morning, and I actually don't like to chant. Um, and two hours of chanting and sitting and everything's done together. We go off and we eat our meals together. We work together. We we're, go back to the hall and we sit and walk basically all day. And even the bathrooms were not private. It was, you know, kind of a, several toilets, kind of a public bathroom, typical of like a, a gym or something. Um, and so there was really essentially never any moment when you were alone, which <laughs> I can't tell you how challenging that was for me, never to find myself alone, even for one minute during the day. And we practiced and practiced and practiced. And, um, you know, a lot of the forms didn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense that we had to wake up with that wooden block. Um, like, why couldn't it be one of these gongs that we have here at IMS <laughs> that may seem unpleasant to you now, but you know, after compared to a wooden block, uh, it's not that bad. Um, so, and of course, my mind was not at peace with these things that I was dealing with. It, it didn't really like it. Uh, this particular approach, I, I didn't really like this group emphasis where you always did walking uh, in a group, you sitting in a group. Um, and then Sheng Yim would come in and give a talk in the morning and a talk at night. And, um, and he, would, he would bring up the fact that this retreat was like a vacation. And I'd be looking at him and I'm thinking, this is a vacation? There's no way this is a vacation. 
you know, my, my vacations do not look like this. Uh, you know, there's like relaxation, <laughs> you know, pleasure, <laughs> you know, some privacy. Um, you kind of have a lot of freedom about what, how you, what you want to eat and what you want to do. Uh, there's none of that. Um, so, it, you know, when he referred it to his vacation, you know, I kept thinking about that. And gradually I began to understand his teachings better. And he was right. And why he was right was he was trying to point out something very important. And it's something that I, I absorbed in my own practice and certainly has influenced me in very profound ways in my own teaching. Which is so much of our torment. So many of the challenges that we encounter in meditation has to do with our attitude towards what we're encountering. And what he was pointing to was, in a vacation, right? This, well, if it's going to be a really relaxed vacation, let's just say, there's an absence or there's less emphasis on having an agenda. You know, having an agenda. You know, if we go on vacation with enormous amount of expectations, to me, that's not exactly a vacation. Vacation is you're going and you're kind of dropping your expectations and you're relaxing and just kind of taking it moment by moment and, and kind of letting go of all the demands that we place in ourselves. And that's what he was pointing to, is that we come into practice with so many expectations, so many preconceptions, so many ideas about what should be happening and what shouldn't be happening, so that when things do arise, you know, kind of the inevitable things like body pain or the mind wandering or different mental states or emotions arising. And some of them, without a doubt, are extremely challenging. You know, working with physical pain, for instance, or working with difficult emotions or mind states like boredom and restlessness and sleepiness and the mind that just will not settle and the self-doubt and all the kinds of different states of mind that come when we just sit and watch. So much of the suffering around those particular experiences has to do with our attitude towards those experiences. The idea that it should or shouldn't be happening. And that makes it much, much more difficult to work with. It makes it much more difficult to learn from, to hold. A good example of this is, um, you know, like just take sleepiness as the bottom, you know, just kind of a very common experience. There's sleepiness, right? When we sit sometimes, right? For, for many of us. Okay. Is sleepiness inherently suffering? In fact, it's a good thing to do, is to fall asleep, right? But what happens with us when we start falling asleep, at least it certainly happened to me, and this was a a real torment for me in my own practice. It took me a long time to develop and nurture a different attitude towards it. Because for me, it was very judgmental. I immediately took it as a signal that there was something wrong, uh, that, uh, uh, that it shouldn't be happening, I should have more energy, why is this happening, I can't practice when I'm like this. you know, what's going on here, I need, I need to walk faster, I need to stand. You know, there was a, like a lot of aversion to it because I perceived it as you know, on some level like a failure, something's wrong or, or, or I can't do it. So it would trigger a lot of self-doubt. And that was a reflection of the way I was relating to it. It's not a reflection of sleepiness itself, but it's the way I'm holding it. It was my attitude towards it. And so eventually what happened for me was I saw the suffering in that. And I realized that sometimes I'm going to feel sleepy when I sit. But what's the way out of the suffering on this? 
is to be a, more allowing of the fact that I do feel sleepy. It's, it's that simple, actually. It's that simple. It's not necessarily easy because of our demands and our expectations and our preconceptions and our self-image and all that stuff, all our history, our conditioning. But the reality is, immediately there's a switch if we can make room for the sleepiness. If we say, okay, the mind is feeling sleepy. So in this particular environment, you know, there's a lot of you know, different ways that we're suggesting working with it, standing up, opening the eyes, walking, going outside during a break, and, and freshening up or you know, getting some of that cold air. Um, it doesn't necessarily eliminate the sleepiness, as we all know. But it, if the attitude is not that this shouldn't be happening, the amount of suffering that drops away is enormous. It's just a matter of something to work with. Something to work with. In fact, we can see it as kind of a natural phenomena. And in fact, oftentimes, I, my own theory about sleepiness is that this, it's an unwinding process. It's not a reflection that there's something wrong. It's probably more a ref- reflection of how much stress and tension that we hold in our lives. And when we come and sit, you know, there's, there's a tremendous slowing down process that happens and things just begin to unwind and the energy ebbs. People have different theories. That's my current theory. But it's not a sign that there's something wrong. It's our attitude that's, that's creating those problems. It's the same with boredom. Boredom is boredom. It's not necessarily the most pleasant experience, but if we tell ourselves, um, th- if we have a sense that there's something wrong because we feel bored, that we, you know, that we, we've read all these things about meditation and it really doesn't, that's not my experience. My experience is I hate it. You know, like I can't stand it. All I mean, I'm sleepy and bored and, and, and all these talks about transformation and freedom and inner peace and, you know, enlightenment and, you know, all this stuff. Where is that? You know, all I'm doing is like falling off my cushion. I, I want to go home. I hate this place. Why did I come? Why didn't I take a vacation? You know, uh, this is definitely not a vacation. And this might be my one week that I have for the winter. And this is where I came instead of the Caribbean with cold drinks under an umbrella on the beach. <laughs> it was a wise choice to come. That's what I want to say. <laughs> Despite what your mind is telling you, it was a very wise thing. And the folks that are here over and over again or come back, they know that already. But they've lived through the retreat and they've lived through their first two days. Uh, And we all know those first two days of a first retreat uh, oftentimes are very challenging. Not universally. Some folks just drop right in. Uh, But generally speaking, there's a process. Absolutely. You know, we're human beings, for heaven's sake. to expect that, that you're just going to stop and start sitting and it's going to be peaceful, um, like right away. Or you're just going to be with the breath because we keep telling you to be with the breath uh, <laughs> over and over and over again. Uh, just because, you know, we're doing that uh, and you're telling that to yourself doesn't mean that that's what your mind is going to do. Not right away, that's for sure. Uh, because the mind is a creature of habit. You know, and we take our life, we take the world, we take our relationships, we take our history into the present moment. We take it into retreat. And oftentimes that's the material that we're working with. It's not like we become just this completely different person because we go on a silent retreat. We, d- we take our history. But the retreat is an opportunity to begin to relate to that history. 
to relate to that conditioning in a different way. And that's what we're encouraging to do. Not to drop your history, not to reject the history, not to reject your conditioning, not to sit in judgment of all the things that are coming up, but learn to relate to them in a different way. And the attitude is a huge thing, and it doesn't take 20 years to shift attitude. It doesn't take 20 years to shift attitude. We can just begin to orient our mind. In one very useful, I think very useful tool for supporting this shift in this attitude, where we're trying, where we can begin to see practice is. Practice is definitely being about, of course, being mindful, and I'll get to that in a few minutes. But practice is definitely about a transformation of consciousness, a transformation of an attitude towards ourselves, towards what our experience is in the present moment. It's a transformation that brings us in much more direct contact with reality. It brings us in much more in contact with the actuality of our experience. That's what we're interested in doing in this particular practice, is we're getting in touch with what, how it is for us. Not how, how it should be, or how it could be, but how it is. But the transformation occurs when we change our relationship to how it is. It is what it is, but it can either torment us, or we can learn from it. And we choose to try to learn from it so that we don't have to perpetuate that suffering within ourselves or with other folks. So practice is about that shift in attitude. So one way of encouraging or supporting or at least opening up to the possibility of being more allowing of what your experience is Nobody here, I hope, I hope you don't experience this, but nobody here is telling you what your experience should be like. There's a method, there's a, there's a framework, there's all that, but you have your own experience. There's no doubt about that. What's being encouraged is to relate to that experience with awareness. You know, that's the bottom line in practice, is to relate to whatever your experience is with awareness. Because I have tremendous faith that by bringing awareness and have it meet your actual experience, change, transformation occurs through that process. And it certainly requires patience. It requires wise effort, which is gentle, kind, open-hearted, non-striving, not trying to fix yourself, not trying to figure yourself out, but just meeting yourself with open-hearted, loving attention. And fortunately, that's not just an ideal. That transformation can occur through practical application of the method and the practice. It's accessible. I wouldn't even consider offering this teaching if I didn't know. It was extremely practical and accessible. All it would be doing was, would be creating uh, fragmentation. It would be creating, it would be setting folks up, you know, for a round of self-doubt and disappointment. But it does take patience and it does take perseverance and it takes a wise and gentle attitude and a wise and gentle effort 
in the practice itself. So the investigative question that one can ask oneself, when we are confronting something that we don't like, and that is going to happen, when we confront something we don't like, to ask ourselves, and this is an open-hearted question, this is not another imposition of uh, uh, something to impose on ourselves or on the experience that we're having to try to fix it. It's an open-hearted question saying, is it possible in this moment for me to make room for this particular experience? Whatever it might be. It could be discomfort in the body. It could be a particular mind state that you're dealing with. It could be a particular condition that you're encountering on retreat and you're having a reaction to that condition. And you notice that, you're aware of it, you're acknowledging it, and asking yourself, can I make room for this? Now, what might be very possible is the no. No, I can't make room for this. It's like this, I don't really like it. I hate this body pain. There's no way I'm going to make room for this body pain. I'm going to fight it every step of the way. I hate it. So that might be the response to that question. So what to do? Take the next step. Can I make room for the resistance, for the hating of it? The fact I really don't like it. If I'm going to be honest, I hate this experience. So can I make room for that resistance? Now, making room doesn't mean that you get caught in it and you justify it and you get behind it and you reinforce it. It means making room for that feeling, that feeling of resistance. Very few people will experience pain, whether it's emotional pain or physical pain, with some without some reaction or resistance. Yeah. All we have to do is kind of observe that, and then oftentimes that sequence, the Buddha talked a great deal about that, way back, what, 3,000, close to 3,000, 26, 2,700 years ago, whenever, when we experience pain, the mind is conditioned to react with aversion. So, our practice in many ways is to, make, is to see if it's possible, to ask ourselves, is it possible? Because mostly we don't make room for that. You know, we, we, we kick into analyzing, figuring out, managing it, strategizing it, telling ourselves all sorts of stories about who we are, defining ourselves by it. You know, we contract around it. We have an attitude about it that has a long history to it. Um, you know, we learn that history. This is our attitudes towards ourself and towards the experiences that we have don't come out of nowhere. They come out of a learning process that we've been subject to. And what we're doing right now is 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 uh, taking a very different approach. You know, what we're what we're really trying to do is take a fresh look at some of the things that we've been doing to see to discern for ourselves what works and what doesn't. You know, that that points to the heart of Buddhist meditation is taking a look for yourself in a very direct way and to discern for yourself what works in my life and what doesn't. What habits of mine aren't working for me? And is there a way to release that suffering? Is there a way to bring more clarity and understanding to those habits of mine so that they don't subject me? And when I say work or not work, I'm talking about suffering. And if, if they're leading to freedom, great. But if they're leading to suffering, what needs to happen is more understanding and more compassion. We need to shine the light of awareness on those habits. And so much of Dharma practice is that. And to me, that's one of the strengths of Vipassana. One of the strengths of Vipassana is that it, 
the method and the orientation, you'll see this perhaps more beginning tomorrow when we open up the instructions, the method and the approach strongly encourage. It's, it's central to the, to the teachings uh, is that we begin to take as an object of awareness, an object of mindfulness, how we are relating. How, what is our attitude towards this? Are we judging ourselves? You know, and, and actually bring, shining the light on the self-judgment. And, and the power of mindfulness and the power of awareness is that it, it heals that, those habits of mind. It frees us of those habits of mind, slowly but surely. What the Buddha said was, what we're unconscious of is what we're going to practice. What we're unconscious of is what's going to get stronger. So even though waking up and seeing like some of the self-judgments and the self-condemning and all the habits that really cause a lot of suffering for us, what we have to understand, what's so important is that this is the process of waking up. It's not the end of the process of waking up, but it's a significant aspect of the practice. You can't transcend that. You can't bypass meeting yourself the way you are so that you're going to be somebody else but we can relate to ourselves so that tra- change can occur. And what the Buddha said was, as we become more aware of these habits of mind, they begin to lose their power. Because we've been practicing these habits for so long, we've been judging ourselves every step of the way, for instance, if we take that one habit. Some of us judge everything about ourselves. There's almost nothing good that we can find. You know, we continually use the framework of success and failure. And there's a rare individual that actually looks at themselves in, in the mirror and says, wow, what a successful human being you are today. You've done a really great job with your life. I'm really happy with everything that I've done. I have no regrets, no remorse. I've had really great relationships from the day I was born. Uh, that's, that's not very usual. Uh, mostly, you know, there's been some challenges along the way for all of us, whether we're 14 or 16 or 18 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50, 60, 70, 80, whatever challenges along the way. How we meet those challenges determines so much. We want to be a resource. You know, this planet needs it desperately. You know, I'm not sure if it's worse than it was in the past, but it's hard to imagine that it's not. You know, there's challenges everywhere. Difficulty. We want to be a resource. We want to be part of that solution. The way, the way we can begin to facilitate that transformation is working on our own consciousness so that we can develop their inner resources to deal with ourselves and our suffering so that we can bring more understanding and compassion to that. But then, of course, we want that to move out into the world. And then we become a genuine resource for folks the better we understand ourselves. So bringing awareness to these habits of mind, it's a significant part of the practice. And in Vipassana, I feel like that's a strong point, very strong point. But oftentimes one goes through phases with the practice that when we wake up to something that we've seen that fundamentally has not been working for us, seeing the extent of it can be quite discouraging. You know, sometimes it can feel overwhelming. You know, when we start seeing how much, like just stay on the self-judgment theme, when we stay our self-doubt, when we see how predominant that habit is and how often it comes up and how much it has um, influenced our decisions and choices and our perception of ourself and how we've been in relationship, it can be very profoundly discouraging, even leading to ve- despair and depression, for sure. So waking up to that stuff can be painful and difficult, but it's the door to liberation. Because as we wake up, if we are 
if we learn to hold it or relate to it in a wise and compassionate way, we heal that energy and we move towards freedom. We move towards freedom. So, attitude is crucial. You know, so, you know, when we con- confront that difficult piece, you know, that difficult part of our consciousness that's just not leaving us alone for one reason or another, asking, can I make room? And you might actually discover that you can make a little bit more room once in a while. And of course, that allows us to learn and not reinforce and slowly let go of that which is tormenting us, which isn't working in our life. And that's the power of mindfulness and awareness. And the Buddha said that mindfulness, when it meets a particular kind of conditioning with us, when it meets like aversion, reactions, impatience, anger, fear, the power of mindfulness is when it meets that, that awareness, oh, fear is there. The effect that mindfulness has on that energy is that you know, on the mind is that it, it begins to facilitate a deconditioning of the mind. A deconditioning of the mind. In other words, it begins to facilitate letting go of the conditioning that's not working for us. That's a powerful force to unleash. said that every moment of mindfulness, of remembering to be mindful, of practicing mindful, strengthens our capacity to be mindful. And truly that is one of the significant challenges. You know, if we're fortunate enough, our karma is good enough, um, we find some kind of an awareness practice. And this awareness practice, we call it a mindfulness practice, a wisdom practice. Uh, if we're fortunate enough to um, come across some teachings that point to an alternative way of being rather than just relying on thinking and analyzing and figuring out, but really points to the fact that all human beings have this creative potential, this creative intelligence within them. Every human being has that. You know, it's innate. And we've been fortunate enough, many others have too, to, to have the opportunity and the awareness that 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 is possible to tap into that, to gain access to that, to gain those resources. And also, to me, the brilliance of the Buddha. Was he didn't just sit down and say, okay, like, can you imagine? You know, I'm sure for many, some of you anyway, some of the instructions have been maybe not as precise or um, clear or understandable. I I mean, I think definitely possibly for some of the new folks, um, I'm sure that that can be true. It comes out in the interview sometimes, for sure, in the groups. Um, But can you imagine if we came and we just said, okay, just be mindful. Just be mindful. That's the way out. That's going to lead to all this great stuff. Uh, So just 
keep being mindful of your experience from one moment to the next. Um, I don't think anybody would be left in the room. Uh, it, it would be too, like, what do you mean? Like, how do you do that? How do you, how do you develop that form of intelligence? Because it's not something that's, in tra- that's been in our training or our education. Um, it's, sometimes it's actually hard to figure out what, what mindfulness is or what, what we're talking about sometimes. And so it's, 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 you know, it's something that is there, but it takes a little bit of practice. And when we begin to practice it, it gets stronger so that we begin to recognize it. And then the challenge is, is to remember it. You know, we teach a lot in the city and under these different, different kind of conditions. And these conditions, uh, I know some, they can be quite challenging, but there's a tremendous amount of reminders and there's so many people practicing with you. So many reminders to you know, keep coming back to the present or be mindful. In our ordinary life, there really aren't that many. Uh, so the people you're working with, or your bosses, your family members probably, many of them are not encouraging you uh, to be mindful. Uh, to be present, you know, maybe just to relax and rest in the here and now. Uh, that's not the general consensus out there. You're not going to get paid for that, um, unless you're us. <laughs> and we actually do a lot more than that, <laughs> a lot more than that. Um, but um, having a method is what I'm tra- where, what I'm trying to get to. Having like uh, some way of of tapping into that, developing it so that we can call on it when we need it. And so we can call on it when we really need it. You know, and, and we definitely need it on retreat. We need it in our life out there too. And so, so it, the Buddha said every moment that we practice mindfulness, it gets stronger. It gets more accessible. It, 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 we can call upon it. It can become a resource. So we can be walking down the street and we remember, oh yeah, like you're totally preoccupied and thinking and worrying and planning. And then all of a sudden you say, wait a second. You know, I, I understand that I'm feeling anxious, but so I'm aware of being anxious, but like, can I just feel my body as I'm walking down the street, even for a few moments? You know, just come back to myself. Connect to the here and now. And it isn't like we get absorbed, you know, in that experience, but it's a way to come back. And what, what we can see is that by developing that capacity to come back to yourself, to come back to the here and now, it connects us not just to ourselves, but it connects us to others. And many folks have mentioned that in the groups, that even though we're practicing in silence, you know, folks will talk about working together or practicing together. And sure, there's a lot of the judgments and the comparing and the evaluating and all that, but there's also a growing sense of appreciation and connection for the support that we give each other and the fact that we're all undergoing this incredible process that may put us through a lot, but it's going somewhere. It's, something's developing. Uh, uh, we're learning some new skills. Uh, for some of us been on the path we already know. We already have faith. We already have confidence. We've been learning these skills along the way. And we come on retreat and they can get stronger. But for some of us who are new, we're, one is definitely on a path of developing new skills. Very useful, extremely useful practical schools, uh, skills for how to, how to work with your life. And, and we desperately need it. And the world desperately needs it. Because if we don't develop these skills, what happens is folks realize they're suffering, but there's not necessarily a lot of understanding about the nature of that suffering. And so folks, you know, like say, just take the the, the example of stress in our life. And we look at basically how a lot of folks in this culture manage their stress. You know, folks know that they're stressed out. And yet 
what happens is folks go to the TV set, internet, uh, drugs, alcohol, sex, all sorts of ways to relieve that stress. Um, the problem, not to put a moral judgment on any of those as, as ways of managing because people turn to the, to, to the misuse of those things and turn to those things as a refuge because one doesn't necessarily know how to use one's life experience as it's unfolding, as a learning process, as a place where we can actually get free. And that's where we're going, is we're going in a direction where we are learning how to deal and relate to the conditions in our life, learn from those conditions, and discover freedom from suffering in the middle of those conditions. And we're learning that by being awake, being attentive, paying attention, meeting the here and now with an open-hearted attention, with a connection to that, so that the mind actually learns. It becomes intelligent. Intelligent in, in a way where the intelligence is framed around what's skillful and what isn't. What's a response and what's a reaction? What's discernment and what's, what's just like a habitual judgment about something? You know, there needs to be a certain amount of space in the mind. There needs to be a certain amount of self-knowing. We have to know ourselves really well on this path because we are learning to be with ourselves, but also be with ourselves in a really different way. In many ways, what we're doing is we're learning to relax, truly relax. You know, folks are doing all these things that are often unskillful in order to just relax a little bit, but basically it's just a relief mechanism, an escape. We're learning to relax on a very deep level but we're learning to relax by how, by how we are relating to things and how, what our attitude is towards things. And uh, with, with living our life guided by the intention to learn. So we're open. We're receptive. We're learning important lessons you know, from some of the most challenging conditions we face. And that's not just some ideal, some New Age teaching. That actually is what happens when we walk this path of awareness. It needs to happen. Because even if we have a practice, it doesn't eliminate the challenges necessarily in life. But it has a tremendous impact in terms of how we respond to those challenges and whether we can actually make a difference. <coughs> life is short. You know, life is short. We want to use it well. But in order to do that, we have to earn it. And it's not handed to us. It can't be, as Larry has pointed out, it's not a second-hand um, experience. It comes from a willingness, a capacity, developing a capacity, uh, valuing awareness, taking a look at your experience, learning from your experience, and not reproducing things that aren't working for us. And that comes through compassionate understanding. Whoops. Well, 
think I said everything that, <laughs> that I wanted to say anyway. <laughs> I think. Um, So I would just say for some of those of you who are new that you're encountering difficulties, uh, we've been there. Anybody who's practiced has been there. And change is possible. Have a little bit of faith. Try to be patient. Understand that we're learning to do things in a different way, a really different way. We're asking a lot of ourselves. Do not mistake that fact. We are definitely, everybody in this room is asking a lot of themselves. Not just by being on this retreat, but trying to pay attention. You know, trying something new. Um, so we want to be patient, we want to be kind, we want to be gentle. Um, and we want to just keep going. It's, it's important work. Thanks. So let's just sit for a minute. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.